Blog Talk Radio. Stroll through the pictures What I've left behind You want again I'm locked up in memories They all intertwine The memories living In my mind I know tomorrow Cause that dawn will come You will never know what you have done Good evening and welcome to Stop Child Abuse Now Show. This is scan number 3225. That's 3225. Tonight we're going to have on a really, really good guest, and um, that is Michelle Bluss. Michelle Bless is from Cincinnati, Ohio. She's been a NASCA member for some years, you bet. And um, she's got quite a story to tell. And um, it, it's, uh, there isn't anything that hasn't happened to Michelle, okay? She's like some of us on NASCA, and that's just the way it is. And she's doing fine today. She is a pastor. She has written a, a book called Out of the Darkness, uh, the Michelle Bless story. Um, she goes around to all different kinds of uh, shelters and works there at times, or at least the underground, which she'll discuss. Um, all different types of things, working with domestic violence, and uh, I can't think of anything she doesn't do, and she's a pastor <laughs> on top of it all. So anyway, um, I'm having a terrible, terrible rainstorm here. It's going to go all the way up to Vermont. Thank you very much. And uh, if I should all of a sudden disappear, Bill is available because I called him. So, um, And I'll try to call in on uh, the regular number and continue to host the show. But right now we have quite a good um, panel of people, okay? Um, Michelle, I'm sure that – can you hear me now? I know you were busy. I Michelle? can hear you. Okay, that's good. And Bill's <laughs> on hold right now. We, we have um, – we have Philip. Philip is here, and Lori is here. So we have a nice panel to start out with. And uh, but first of all, let me read the uh, mission statement. We have a singleness of purpose at NASCA, and that is to address issues related to childhood abuse and traumas, including sexual assault, violent or physical abuse, emotional traumas, and neglect. Now we do so from the, the two different ways. Number one is educating the public, especially as related to getting society, <clears throat> excuse me, over the taboo. <clears throat> You're not supposed to hear that. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Over the taboo of discussing childhood sexual abuse, presenting the facts that show child abuse to be a pandemic worldwide problem that affects everyone, and it does. I could tell you a list of ways. Number two is offering hope for healing through numerous pairs and providing many services to adult survivors of child abuse and information for anyone interested in the many issues involving prevention, intervention, and recovery. 
Now, one thing we discuss very much here, right here at NASCA, is prevention, intervention, and recovery. Um, it's all needed. It's all important. Um, I like to talk mostly about prevention, but I won't be doing that tonight because we have our special guest. And I do believe, though, if more people would get involved, whether it be community, whether it be families, whether it be parents, not just teaching your children how to cross the street is not good enough, not in this world that we live in. It probably never was. But the point is to educate the parents and to educate the public and to educate our children. That's prevention. So what I'm going to do now is turn it over to Michelle. Michelle has um, quite a story to tell. And I want to remind everyone, too, as I have been asked to do this, um, people can heal, okay? We can and we do heal, all right? If you have the proper help and the proper setting, no matter what types of abuse you go to, or through, I should say, we can heal. And that's the good news. Okay, Michelle, why don't you start by telling your story? Go ahead. Well, hello. I am Michelle, Minister Michelle Bless, and I am originally from Cincinnati, Ohio, but now living in Fairfield, Ohio. Um, I can begin remembering when I was two years old, um, seeing my dad beating on my mom and my other siblings, but I would get the worst of worse than my siblings. Um, the one time during the time. Uh, when I was two, they had what it was called onesies for the kids. And I remember my mom taking my dad some breakfast. And I went behind my dad and grabbed his neck and gave him a hug. And he reached from behind me, grabbed my onesie, and threw me across the room. And I hit the wall and slid down. And I was screaming. And um, and my mother went in and said, oh, my God, what happened, you know? And my dad said a few choice words, and she tried to reach for me, and he knocked her down. Um, that was one occasion. But I, I always would just see my mom get beat real bad, laying in a pool of blood, um, beat her to a pulp, you know. As far as me and my siblings, we would get beat by broomsticks or uh Shotgun uh, handles, you know, a butt of a gun, iron, uh, wood. It, it was never a, a whooping. It was always a beating. And I remember one particular time, which was more than once, because I was so used to it being done that I got used to it, which is called the uh, cold tub. And so what the cold tub is, you know, my dad would tell me to go upstairs and Filled the water, filled the tub up in, with cold water. And in the 60s, the water used to be, when, when when you turn on the cold, it would be real cold. If you turn on the hot, it would be real hot. And um, I would have to literally run the water first, then put the little stoppers they had down in the tub. And you can literally see the cold from the water. You know, like you would see hot steam, you, you would see the cold, you know it was cold. And I already knew what to do, which would take my clothes off and and uh, stand at attention and then scream out and tell him I'm, it's done. Then he would call me a name and say, get into the water, and I would get into the water. And uh, he would come in, and he would grab me by my hair, 
and he would dump me in and out of the water for a while. And then after doing that, he would pull me up by my hair and grab my feet, both feet by the ankle, and then he would dump me up and down like that uh, in and out of the water. And then after doing that for a while, then he, he, he'll have a switch with him, which has come from a tree, and he would switch my whole body until the water turned red, and then he would drop me head first. And um, so that was the norm that happened to me from beginning at probably seven or eight um, all the way up until it stopped at 12. Um, other occasions, you know, my dad used to be an alcoholic real bad, and um, he would always come in, and when he would come in late at night, he would beat my mom. So as I got bigger, and what I would consider bigger, which would be uh, about seven or eight, and I would meet my dad at the door. And when he comes in, and I would start something with him, because he, the first thing he does when he comes in is say, be where you at, be where, you know what the word, the, the B word. And he would be referring to my mom. And so I would just intervene and make him mad where he would beat me until he passed out on the floor. He would beat me until he passed out. And, and that was all the time. And I would, like, get up. I was so used to the beatings, I was just numb. And and there's something I left out is because beginning at the age of four, um, my mom, my not my mom, but my dad, he had a, um, a after hours club bar type, and uh, where people hang out, and it was down in our basement, and it had a door to come in from the outside because no one was never allowed into our actual home, and I would go down there all the time because they would be kikiing and laughing, you know, people, the women and the men. And and all I remember, they used to be drinking this, you know, out of the cup, and they would laugh. They would fall down, and I would think, that don't that hurt? But they'd be laughing. That's because they was drinking. I would call whatever it was, this liquid or whatever in this cup. So I would go around, uh, like when they were gone, and it would be cups everywhere. There'll be it'll be some it'll be some liquid in it, and I would just drink it. I would just drink it, and um, it burned the first time, and um, then after a while, I got used to drinking it, so I became very numb, so I guess my drinking then began at the age of four. Um, my dad was, was, was uh, we, ca- we call him, me and my siblings, we call him the Hitler, like the actual Hitler. Um because that's how he ran the house with an iron fist. We were so afraid of him. I was, I'm talking about I was so scared of my dad that I would literally pee on myself. That's how terrified I was. So let me go down to, I talked about when I was seven to eight, so let's go to six years old. By, by the time I turned six, the physical abuse and the mental abuse and emotional abuse was at its highest peak. For me, and when I turned six is when I uh, uh, okay. Let me say this: that me and my siblings every every weekend and every summer we will be taken to our grandparents' house. 
And so by the time I was six years old, let me say this. I remember I was talking about when I was seven or eight, so I got to say that the sexual abuse did begin at six with my grandfather because we would be, you know, we would go over to visit my grandparents on the weekend and every summer. And my grandfather uh, started messing with me. And um, he would stand me in front of the mirror, and he would get, I, I don't I guess I could just call it Vaseline. I just know it was some sort of lubricant or whatever, and he would rub it on my chest, and he would mess with my chest, you know, with the nipple area. And that didn't do anything for me. I was scared. I was just frozen. And he would send me, he, he, would, he had a big mirror that he would move from the wall and bring it from the dresser, and, and then I would be between his legs, and he would face me looking at the mirror, and it was a full mirror as he was touching me and rubbing on me, and he was talking, saying how he's going to show me what a woman uh, should do for their man. And, um, and then he would tongue kiss me. I, it, was just, it was just disgusting. And I remember him saying, you know, as long as I do what he say and don't tell that he won't touch my sister. And so, and then he also added, you know, your dad be beating on y'all. What, if he's taken away, who's going to take care of you and your, who's going to take care of your mom and your siblings? And so me at a young age, I believe them. I, I'm like, well, if I tell, dad's going to kill him, but then they'll take dad away. Who's going to help my mom? And if I tell, well, I don't want him to hurt my sister. I don't want her to experience this. So I didn't say anything. Um, then um, I found out that my um, my grandfather was uh, into uh, witchcraft and into the uh, into the occult. And as I got involved in that, my mother, she's from, and her siblings, they're from Kingston, Jamaica. So it was, you know, 22 siblings. And I had favorite aunts and uncles, and that's when I found out that they were in the occult too. So I was learning witchcraft in the occult from my dad's side, and I was learning from my mom's side. And that was what gave me comfort, and then that's when I got deep into it and started learning about um, the powers that was given to me and, and what I was being taught as far as levitating, moving through walls, um, casting spells, and, and things like that. So do you want me to stop there and we take a break, or do you want me to keep going? Well, I think we can stop there. Um, I'm going to start with Lori first. Lori, you're getting an idea here of, of what's going on in, in Michelle's life, and then I'll go down to uh, to Philip. Um, do you have a question or a comment to make? Um, basically, I'm blown away. Not only is the severity of your abuse, what you've become today, in spite of everything, and I only—I already have your your book, so I read it. But from what I've heard now, to where you are again, 
you, I, I consider you one of the most interesting persons I've ever met and most astounding to be who you are. Thank you. You know, my Thank heart you. truly goes out to you. Yeah. Thank you. I second that. <laughs> it's amazing what um, a lot of us go through. And like I said, that's why I said in the beginning, no matter what you've gone through, you can heal if you get the proper help. And, of course, if you want to get that help, people have to want to heal. Okay. So it's a combination of both. But to go well, through so mind, much. I only told you. Keep in mind, mm-hmm. what what we covered so far it was only from the age of seven and, and under. So we haven't even got oh, to the I know. Oh, honey, we've got a long way to go. I know. <laughs> but I'm just I'm just letting people know this, okay, because uh, we've had discussions in, in the past about healing and all this other stuff. Um, and, and you can heal. Yes, some people need a lot mm-hmm. more healing, Michelle, absolutely, depending on the severity of what they went through. So, um, yes. but anyway, and you went through an awful lot. Now, let me let me go down to um, to Philip. Okay, Philip, is there something that you'd like to ask? Um, no, not yet. Not yet. Okay. Are you blown away a little bit? Um, well, something I'm not blown away, but something that resonated with me was the thing about talking to her dad and her mom. Mhm. Mhm. Well, you'll be hearing a lot more. Okay. She's got a ways to go. Okay, go ahead, Michelle, and and finish up. Go ahead where you where you started from. Go ahead. Well, well, when I was telling you guys about me being in witchcraft and levitation and stuff like that, tarot, tarot reading, the pentagram. I mean, it was what the the things that the horror movies that they show at the movies and theaters. You know, people look at that and think that it's not real, but it is. I mean, I did and was exposed to a lot of things in the dark side and the dark world. And and um, my mother, she had 22 siblings. All of them did not believe in God but her. My grandfather, which is my mom's dad, was a voodoo priest from Kingston, Jamaica. So out of all of those siblings, my mom would not allow herself to get involved. And But, mm-hmm. but the siblings were very, very close to each other, so even though they tried to lure her into it and she saw that and they saw that she wouldn't, they didn't turn away from my mom. They, it was weird. They were very close because I never met my grandfather on my mother's side because she was pregnant with me and came to the States when he, when he died. He died while I was in her womb. So um, I found out uh, later that he was having sex with some of his siblings, his children. It was disgusting. I thought that out later on down the life. But um, my mother was different, and my mother decided to leave and marry my dad to get out of the house, you know. And she was a teenager when she married my dad. And she, she never cheated. She never... I mean, she was a virgin when she met my dad. So what I couldn't understand was why he abused her, called her out her names like she was some prostitute or something in the streets, and she wasn't even allowed to do anything. 
She was a absolute 100% submissive woman. She was afraid of my dad. My dad wanted me a wish that I was a boy because the things he was doing, being abusive, it was like I still, I was scared of my dad, but yet I loved my dad. So my dad uh, tried to teach my brothers about life in the streets. They didn't want to know anything about it. And so I did. So my dad, he was a member of the original Black Panthers. He was one of the original members. He was also um, into the mafia. He had ties to the mob. Um, He had uh, his own construction business during the day, and he was a pimp. That was his other business. I mean, he had women on the stroke. So these women were teaching me how to be a lady or, you know, uh, how to dress and how to look and how to smell, this, this, that, and the other. He he made sure they taught me this because I was his, I was, I, I was his child. I was the one that he loved the most, but yet I was the one that was getting abused the most. My dad put me in the modeling when I was six years old, so I made a lot of money for him so he couldn't abuse my face because that was show. And But no one ever questioned when in the summertime we wore, wore long sleeves, and no one ever questioned that. You know, we was wearing long sleeves to cover, cover up the boots, the bruises, or I would wear jeans, you know, or pants because to, to cover up the bruises. Uh, as my grandfather was messing with me from the age, starting at the age of six, um, that went on until I, I got 12. And when I turned 12, one day I was down downstairs. We was at my grandparents' house. And um, he called up for me, and he called my name. And uh, he said, Michelle, and, I, and he said, bring your sister up here. And it's like my whole body. Like, I just fear. And so I ran to, to the top of the stairs where he could hear me, and, and I said, Grandpa, I said, what you mean my sister for? He said, do like I said. I said, no. I said, whatever you want, I'll do. I'll take care of you, whatever you want, not my sister. And he said, no. No, he said, come here. So I came into the room where he was, and he said, you don't got to, oh, I don't want you no more. So you go get your sister now. And that's when... I lashed out. This I had power. He, he, he saw something that I didn't see, but he saw. But I went to him and I said, "I will kill you dead before I let you touch my sister." Do you hear me? And I saw this fear came over him. But he said, "I won't touch you. Get out of my room." He got scared, and um. I became this different person. I had all this this rage in me, this 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 anger, you know. It was like I mean veins were popping out my forehead. That's how bad that's how that's how angry I was because I was holding in all the pain and by this time I'm twelve and I'm you know, I started getting abused, beaten by my dad at two, you know, and 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 let me go back to something that came back to my memory just now. I was eight years old, and my dad came in 
the house, and he hit my mom. And I was like, I'm tired of you hitting my mom. And he said, you little bee. And he grabbed me and opened the closet door through, and he broke the light bulb. When, after he threw me in, the glass fell over me. He locked it. And I could hear him beating my mom because my, I could hear my mom saying, I'm tired of you touching my touching her. You always beating that girl. She was like, leave her alone. And, I mean, I can hear the punches. He was punching my mom like a man. And I remember I heard him say to my brothers, you take these bags and you go to the woods and you fill them up with. And I couldn't hear what he told them to fill them up with. But he said, and if you don't fill it up, and I mean fill this MF bag to the capacity, I'm going to beat both of y'all. You hear me? And it was like, yes, sir, because, like I said, my siblings were scared. So it seemed like it took forever, but finally my dad opened the door and threw these two bags, threw, threw something at me. And it was dark because he, he broke the light. So I just felt something crawling everywhere all over. It was biting me. And I could hear my mom screaming, and I was screaming for my mom, and I couldn't scream no more because whatever it was, I pulled it out, it was going in my mouth, so I held my mouth tight, and I held my nose, and I closed my eyes, and I'm being bitten everywhere I passed out. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. when I came to, I'm looking, and I can see my brothers and them stomping on whatever, and I saw it was spiders. And they were stomping. They were knocking them off of me. And um, my mother screamed. And she told my brother to get a blanket. They put it around me. She took it to the hospital. I had over 250 bites. And, um, and I remember my mom was saying, don't, don't tell them. Tell them you were in the woods. So I had all these big, I mean, they, they counted 250 bites. And I remember the doctor was like, your mom said that you went into a wood. Did you, did you walk into a big web or net or something? And I said, yeah, I guess, because all I know, we were playing hide and see. I was lying. We were playing hide yeah, and see. Yeah. I was running. I was running, and I ran into something. It was all over my face. And he said, the good thing your mom brought you here. So um, that was the experience. And that's what gave me the phobia of spiders, you know, big spiders, right? It's just a phobia for me. Um Moving moving right along, when I turned 12 and my grandfather got said he was too, I mean, I, I got too old for him, um, that's when my uncle stepped in, excuse me, on my mother's side, um, started messing with me. I just became numb. It's like it was an inner, outer body. I would literally, my spirit would come out and I would stand in the corner and I would watch them do, watch him do what he was doing to my body. The same as with my grandfather. Mm-hmm. I did the same thing. Um, so it was my uncle and then it was a cousin. Um, and that was going on from 12 um, until I turned 14. And I fought back. I, I wouldn't let my cousin and uncle touch me anymore. I fought back. I fought back. And they got scared. And then the cast right. fell on the so that didn't make it no better. So by this time, I was a full-blown witch, and I was in the hierarchy of the occult. Um, at night, um, we would go to the church of Satan, and they would um, sacrifice. 
a lot of animals. And someone asked me, have I ever seen a kid or a human get sacrificed? Well, this is what I would tell you. Um, I've seen humans come in, but I ain't never seen them go back out. So that part, I, I can't, I never witnessed that. I was never allowed to see that. I just assumed that was what was going on, but I didn't see it. But, but I would do let me, remember. Let me ask you that, something. Hold, hold on a second. You saw them mm-hmm. going in, but you never saw them coming out. How old were these? Did you say kids, children? Is that what you said? Some were children and some were adults like women or young bo- uh, or teenage boys or something. Oh, yeah, I know what I saw. They would bring them in. I see, because I knew everybody that was in the occult. We were a family. Mm-hmm. So they had, you right. know, they had black robes, cups of blood. I mean, you know, you coming in, they bringing in people. But I ain't never seen them leave. But they would wow. go to a different room. But I was never allowed. It was two places where they did the initiation and where they um, did the rituals of drinking the blood and cutting up animals. Wow. It was one room, and then there was another room. And I was never allowed in that other room. So I don't right. know what. I never saw it. Now, have I ever been in there? Sneak in there? Sure. But, and, all I, and I've seen blood everywhere. But I don't know where that came from. I can't tell you whether it was human blood or animal blood. I just assume, I just assume, I just put in my mind, just want to assume, I put in my mind that, okay, it was animal blood because what they do to sacrifice where I was and they were killing animals, it was blood everywhere. But that's where I put my mind at. I didn't want to believe that it was, it was kids or women they were taken in there. I never seen them came back out. So, it, you know, I just never seen them came back out. By this time, um, I mean, I started doing rituals and drinking of blood and wearing robes and stuff and going to Satan's church beginning at um, six years old, six, seven years old. Mm-hmm. So that went on all the way up to um, I was 15. I graduated from high school, mm-hmm. and I went through ROTC. During this time, the beatings were still going strong. My, I still was afraid of my dad. He was beating us. He was beating my mom. Once I became a teenager... Is when we fought back. My father did less beating and probably did it more with the other women in the streets than he did at home because my brothers this time, they stood up with me. We had to protect my mom. Now, when we weren't there, I'm sure, because he told us that he did, but my brothers started standing up towards my, my dad because they got bigger. They got bigger than my dad. You know, they grew up with big muscles, and, you know, and they were defending my mom. And so one, this one particular day, I defended my mom. Um, I was downstairs. My mother was in there cooking. My dad called my name. I went up to the top of the steps. Yes, sir. Tell your mammy to fix me something to eat. And something snapped. Because you got to understand, from the age of two, that's what he used to call my mother, the mother who cleaned his house, took care of his kids, and fed him. My mother that never went anywhere. My mother that was a virgin when she met him. She was a good woman. He would beat my mom. I just snapped. So I went down to the bottom of the steps, and I said, Mom, your master said fix him something to eat. My dad heard me. Well, I wanted him to hear me. So I could hear him fumbling upstairs, falling. He was putting on his pants backwards and throwing boots. And I'm in the kitchen with my mother, and we had a big cupboard. During the time of, during that era, the late, early 60s and, and early 70s, we had a walk-in cupboard where you could put canned stuff in a tree trunk and you mm-hmm. could put your axe on it to, sh- to sharpen your axe 
And um, so my father come running down there, sat on the steps, and he came and he was between me and my mom. And he said, B, what did you say? And he was looking at me. And I said, what do you mean? And he punched me. And I didn't, I didn't twist because I was so used to his punches. He said, you repeat what you said, B. You repeat what you said to your mother. And then I looked at him and I said, I said, Mom, your master said fix him something to eat. And my, and my dad balled his fist. It was like a slow motion TV. He bought his fist, and he hit me so hard. I was standing in front of the cupboard. It was the open door. He hit me mm-hmm. so hard that I fell backwards into the cupboard, and my mother screamed because we had an ax that my dad, it was, up, it was, up, it was, down, it was upside down, right? So the sharp part was, was up. And yeah, my yeah, mother yeah. screamed because she knew or she felt that I, that my back would hit it. So... Mm-hmm. When I fell back, she come running, and she grabbed me, and she was touching my back, and her eyes got big because it was like, like I should have been cut. Well, my powers, you know. So my dad looked at me, and I don't know what he saw. And it was one thing I forgot to tell you, because that was the third punch when I fell in the cupboard. He hit me twice in my face and my mouth and nose twice before the third punch to, to knock me in the cupboard. The second time mm-hmm. he hit me, I fell and I came back up. And I didn't use my hands to bring me up. My whole body came up and it scared mm-hmm. him, my mama said. Mm-hmm. Then when he saw that I wasn't cut, when I fell in the cupboard, yeah. his eyes got big and he said, I'm done with this. Just leave me alone. He ran up out that kitchen. I can't <laughs> tell you what he saw. I can't tell you what he saw. <laughs> Because, you know, I had witches and stuff around me. So he saw something that scared him. And my mom said to me, and I looked at my mom. She went and got something because it was blood gushing from my nose and mouth. And I had on a, I had a, I had on a brand new white T-shirt with some, something on it. It was brand new. I was going out with my friends. And it was all bloody. And I looked at my mom and I said, Mom, I got to go. She said, aren't you going to change her? I said, no, I got to leave here because I'm going to kill him. At this point, yes. my heart went black. Yep. My heart went black. Well, let's let's felt... let's, let's stop there. Let's stop there. Okay. I okay. want to say I'll make a comment about that. When when you're so horribly abused, and I've had people on myself included, all right, where you have so much hatred um, for your parent, the abusing parent or parents, right? You can absolutely have feelings of hatred, and you want to. You want to get rid of them, okay? I'm putting it nicely. You want to get rid of them because of what they're doing to you. Mm-hmm. And, and a, a person can only take so much. And I remember after one night of being beaten by kids because I didn't have the, the stuff that I had that I needed, I walked into the house, and you just you just remind me of something. And I told you we had guns all over. I actually yeah. felt like picking up a gun and shooting my mother, so I get it. And this is not mm-hmm. abnormal because people out there, you have to understand that when you're abused so horribly, um, you can only take so much. And then you, too, mm-hmm. then become vile, volatile. You can, all right? I didn't do it, but I sure as hell felt like it. That's all I wanted mm-hmm. to say. I get it. Go ahead. And so we used to, me and my brothers, 
We used to, we had notebooks and journals, and we would write in detail how we were going to kill my dad. Mm-hmm. For years. Mm-hmm. As a little kid, I, I mean, seriously. So, let me, moving on. Um, so, um, I left, and my mom had a stroke and a heart attack. And my dad, mm-hmm. he, they couldn't find me for three months. And finally, one of my one of my cousins on my dad's side saw me and took me to his home with his, him and his wife. And he told my dad where I was. And that's when he, my cousin said, your dad wants you on the phone. And my dad said, yeah, just so you know, your mother is in attention, intensive care thanks to you, worrying about you. And I said, what? I grabbed my chest, and I asked what hospital. And I went to the hospital. This is three months later. I went to the hospital, and it was tubes all over my mom. And mm-hmm. I, I was crying. I, I, I blamed me because my dad made sure to say that she worried so much about me that she had a she had a heart attack and a stroke. And um and I held her hand, she opened her eyes, she couldn't talk and, and I said, Mom, I won't I am back home. I, I'm I, I'm back home. So after I left the hospital, I went straight to the house. And um I called my cousin to br- to bring all my stuff. My dad came in from his usual night. Um, I was in the living room on the couch, and I was sitting there waiting on him in the dark. He turned the light on and saw me there. And um, he said, what are you doing here? And I said, as long as my mother's breathing, I'm going to be right here. Ah, uh, whatever. Whatever, nigger. And went on to his room. So I stayed until it was time for me to go in the military. I went into the military at 16 years old. Did very well, finished boot camp, got stationed in New Orleans. Two years, the commander befriended me. I started sharing my life and what I went through. Didn't, unbeknownst to me, he was, he was grooming me. And um, two years in, one day, the, uh, and this is the commander of the whole base. The commander of the post is who I was working under, and they were gone. I was the only one in the office, and um, I was digging for some change or something, and something told me to look up, and I looked up, and it was the commander of the base there. So, of course, I stood up and gave him a salute, and he said, um, well, what are you looking for? I see you down there digging. I said, oh, I'm just looking for some change to go get me a, a pop out the machine, soda pop. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, he said, oh, I'll get you. I'll get you a pop. What do you drink? And I, I can't remember what I said, but anyway, he went. He came back while I was typing. He had two pops, one for him and one for me. But they were both open. Okay, I still didn't get no alert. I didn't feel, uh, I didn't think nothing of it because I knew who he was. Right. So and I you're in the military. Feel, you're in the military, right. too. I didn't too. feel no threat. I, listen, mm-hmm. when I mm-hmm. left home and got on that plane, I said, free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty, I am free at last. I left home. I was in the military. I was not being beaten anymore. I felt mm-hmm. safe. Mm-hmm. So I didn't think nothing of it. And I started drinking the pop. We were talking. I kept drinking. That's all I remember. When I came to, I was butt naked on a cold steel floor, and he was on top of me. And I right. took him by his neck. 
and I stood him straight up, dangling. Dangling. You stood him straight up? I had him in one hand. Because <laughs> I don't remember how I got I don't remember how I got on that floor and I don't remember yeah. passing out. But it's one thing I did remember is that I I was not in no, I was not dating this man. He was not my friend like that. He was a fellow soldier like me that was friendly for two years, and we were talking while I was sitting at my desk. So how I got there, I knew it was because of him I got there, and it wasn't voluntarily. So, yes, I tried to kill him. Um, six MPs came in there. It took six MPs, military police, to get me off of him. And they, if I would have waited, if they would have came a little few more minutes later, he would have died. Right. Of course, it was his right. word against mine. Mm-hmm. And um, mm-hmm. I was an officer, but he was an officer, and he was higher ranked. And he told them mm-hmm. to take me to the uh, to the military hospital. Mm-hmm. I waited till mm-hmm. we got out and driving, and I told them to take me to the civilian hospital first. And they said, we got orders by your commander. I said, well, he's not here right now, and I'm overwrecking you. You're going to take me to the civilian hospital. And I don't know what made me said that, but that was the best move I did because they tested and they had it saved. And when I got to the military hospital for them to test me, they, uh, they said that was, you know, there, was, there were no evidence of abrasions. They took pictures of me at the civilian hospital. Because of that, fast forwarding, I'm going to come back. You know, you know, I'm 100%. I fought the military. We were known as the whistleblowers. I won my case because of the evidence that was found in New Orleans that was saved at that hospital for over 18 years. Very good. Years. Very good. So yeah. mm-hmm. getting back to the military, when I was in the military, I used to cast spells. You know, I had friends that, because by this time, I was depressed. They didn't believe me. They believed him. They kept saying it was consent consensual and that which was not true my whole demeanor changed um i started looking unkept um and i was in a very dark place and i started casting spells on people and um then i got into a car accident head-on collision and when i came to i was in the hospital i thought it was the next day I was in a coma for three months. My hair was down my back. I used to be able to sit on my hair. They had to cut it out, cut my hair because of all the cuts and glass that was in my uh, head. I went through the windshield. I didn't have a, you know, I went through, my head went through the windshield. But if I didn't have a seatbelt going, I would have went through it all the way. And that's what saved my life, they said. Um, and then that's when they came. I was heavily sedated. And I remember mm-hmm. these officers and these envelopes, yellow envelopes they had, and they were like, oh, you ready to go home? And I'm thinking, when they said, was I ready to go home, I was talking about home there in New Orleans. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they said, well, sign these, and we're going to take you home. I got kicked out of the military. Mm-hmm. And they dishonorably discharged me. Mm-hmm. And um, I fell into a deeper depression. So follow what I'm about to tell you. So remember what I just tell you. I was dishonorably discharged at that time um, after a couple more years. And then I went downhill. I came home and, um, oh, 
the FBI came to my parents' home looking for someone with the same name, but it was a different height and lighter person, but we had the same name. She was wanted in 21 states for, for oh my God. writing bad checks, robbing the bank, and the FBI came banging on my mom's in the door saying, our daughter just got home from the military. So this ain't the same person. What's the picture? And they looked at me and saw that it wasn't me. Unfortunately, we had the same name, so they had to definitely fix and clear that up. So mm-hmm. if I ran my name somewhere, that information won't pop up, me being that other person. It was, that was crazy. So fast forwarding, I got into relationships, and um, I was looking for love in all the wrong places. I wanted yeah. to be loved. I never experienced that. So um, I've been raped, and then um, I went out there. I stayed medic- medicated, um, and then my mother, you know, I was working, and um, I went into a deep depression, and I shut down. I stopped going to work. And uh, my mom called my job and told him that, you know, I had to take a medical leave. She, I'm in the hospital, you know. Took a leave, and then she called her sister who was living down in Cleveland. And she said, my aunt said, well, send her down here. Let her, you know, we'll, send her down here. You know, she could be around her cousins, you know, you know which was my uh, aunt's kids, but they were around my age. Mm-hmm. And um, got on the Greyhound. Rode, stepped off the Greyhound. That's all I remember. Came to, I couldn't see because there was something covering my face. My arms were stretched out. As I tried to move my arms, I felt I'm handcuffed. Somebody had me handcuffed uh, and had me stretched out. Had my legs handcuffed, had me stretched. And whoever this was was raping me was raping me over and over again. So I went into protection mode. And that was to get out of this situation. So I knew it was a man. I didn't know what color he was. I couldn't see him. I was blindfolded. I knew his breath stink. And I went along with him. I let him make him think that I liked what he was doing that I wanted to be with him, let's spend the rest of our life together, and if this is what you like, I'll help you continue to do that. And this idiot believed that story. Mine over matter. I went into defense mode. So I told him, um, so I wanted him to go buy me some bubble bath and get me some perfume, and we're going to, you know, and he left. He trusted, well, first he unhandcuffed me. Yeah. And, um, he unblinded me, but I, I was blindfolded for so many days I really couldn't see. Mm-hmm. And so he was like, oh, your eyesight will come. Your eyesight will come back to you. So why don't you just go take, you know, I, I'm going to run some water and um, put something in the bath water for now. And then you take another one when I make you a, I'll make you a rose bath or whatever. He was believing all the hype. Mm-hmm. So he left. I listened to him, drove off. My eyes were blurry, but I, I grabbed one sheet. I was on the bed, and I wrapped it around me, and um, there was a curtain, and when I opened it, it was a glass door. So I pulled that curtain off, and I unlocked the door, but no, I couldn't unlock it. It wouldn't, it wouldn't unlock. So 
I put the curtain over my head, covered my face, and I ran through that glass door. <laughs> Got out. Oh, it was wooded area. I was wet. I didn't know at the time was blood on me because I ran through the glass door. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know how long I walked through those woods, but I finally got through where there was a road. And when I got on the road, it was a car coming, and I was like, oh, my God, the God that my mama served, because, you know, I was an atheist. So I said, please don't let them be there, because I didn't know what he looked like. I didn't know what car he drove. I didn't know if that was him. But it was right. this man. This man jumped mm-hmm. out. He was like, oh, my God, what happened? And I said, please help me. I was kidnapped. Can you please take mm-hmm. me to the police station? And he said, mm-hmm. sure. Got me in the car. He got halfway down the road. And he said, well, since you've been raped and kidnapped, I might as well get me some. And he oh, threw Lord me down. In the back, took me in the back seat, and he raped me. And then he threw me out of his car, jumped back in his car, and took off. I, I totally snapped at that moment. I, 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 at that moment, I had a total nervous breakdown. And yeah. I was butt naked, walking down the road, and I didn't. And I was swaying back and forth. I was bloody, and I just saw these red blue lights, and I knew they were the cops, and I passed yeah. out. Mm-hmm. And when I came to, I was in the hospital, mm-hmm. and um, they. I kept hearing them say, "This looked like her. This looked like her." Well, by this time, when I, I'm assuming. I never left that freaking um, bus station voluntarily. I was taken. They had mm-hmm. flyers of me. My mama had, you know, uh, put out a police report. I'm missing. So, and my aunt down in Cleveland did the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, what saved me was the military because I was still active, listed active duty, okay? Um mm-hmm. They got involved. So I'm going to speed this up a little bit concerning that part. So I was in the hospital, and they were asking me a bunch of questions. Could I remember? I told them in detail what happened. That I never saw his face, but it was in a wooded area. It was, it, it was like it was number woods, and then it, it took forever to walk to a road. And one cop said, that sounds like such and such area, such and such road or whatever. Mm-hmm. And um, they took me in their police car, and I just seen all this wooded area. And they parked. We all got out. It was a bunch of police officers. We going through this thing. Soon as I saw the house, I screamed. The police officer grabbed my mouth, like, "Oh my gosh, shh. is this the house?" I, I said, "Yes." Because the glass was still broken. Right. And I'm like, right. no, no, I take that back. No, it wasn't. It was a bo- It was boarded. It was boarded. So mm-hmm. I said, this is the house. So they surrounded. They called for more help. And they got them. Good. But they started smelling a smell that only police officers would know mm-hmm. the smell. That's and right. it was the mm-hmm. it was the smell, smell of, death. of death. That's right. So to wrap this up as far as Cleveland, mm-hmm. this man had a house 
and he had all this land all around it. I mean, it was acres and acres. Well, they found bodies of women buried, not only on his land, but they were buried in the walls of his home. And he had body parts in a jar of women from his kitchen in his home to down in the basement to down in the freezer. So I was labeled the one that got away. Can't make this up as a Lifetime movie. The guy that I serve now is a guy that had his hand on me all that time, and he kept me. It, he was a, this man was a serial killer. Mm-hmm. He was one of the serial killers known in Cleveland, Ohio. Mm-hmm. He was the worst than the one they had the last time, if you can remember. This black guy was giving women. He was looking for prostitutes who was on drugs and giving them drugs, and and then he would kill them and he would chain them up in the basement. And it was just. Mm-hmm. Very, oh, I know who you're talking about. I can't think um, of that but, guy's name. Yeah, but 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 anywho, so I went through that. So mm-hmm. let's fast forward. Then, of course, my family sent you know the police, the FBI, everybody got me home. Um, I stayed in a. I, I stayed with my mom. Um, they had me on meds. I shut down. Um, as I was finally months later, I came out of it, and my dad. That's when he was nice, because my dad had a business, and he and he. But I stayed with my mom, and he said, "Why don't you come on down to see me?" I said, "Okay." So he said, "You want to, you know, I'll pay you to help me out with my business." I said, "Sure." So I came down there, and it was one of his old friends that was in that was in the military. You know, he remembered me when I was a little girl, but I wasn't that little girl no more. When he saw me, he saw me as a woman. Mm-hmm. And, and and it was the way he looked at me. Now you know, being a survivor, we know what that look looked like. So me being an adult, yeah. I I went from well they they've been taking it from me. They well they're gonna have to pay for it. I I felt like they're gonna have to. It, I know what a man wants. He's got to give me what I want. That was my mindset. To make mm-hmm. a long story short, I got involved. He was one of the biggest dope dealers. <laughs> I always go for the worst ones. He was one of the mm-hmm. biggest dope dealers. And he was well-known cocaine dealer. And mm-hmm. I was, if you ever seen that movie called Scarface. Oh, I love that movie. Well, that's how I was living. Well, that's how I was living. I mean, he had me in a Mercedes Benz. Uh, mm-hmm. He gave me a black card. Uh, you know, I went on shopping sprees and you know, uh, I was like snorting cocaine, like Peru, drinking cognac, like it was water. Mm-hmm. I, and I was, I felt like I was living my best life. So he put yeah. his hand on me, <laughs> and it brought back mm-hmm. all the memory of the beatings and the and the abuse. I retaliated. I destroyed his mm-hmm. whole house. He was gone at work. I destroyed his whole house. When he came back, he came back to a flood. <laughs> I took everything that I can carry, you know, and I took money out of his face. And um, and I said to myself, oh, I'm not accepting this. You're going to put your hands on me. So then I got married. Later on down the line, I met someone else, one abuser after another. 
didn't know I was right. being groomed. Uh-huh. This man was nice from the beginning, but then he got, and actually, to be honest, he wasn't really abusive until he fell off the pole. He used to work for GE, Gas and Electric Company, and he was one of the climbers when he fell off of right. And they put him on strong meds. And when we and the doctor said to him that these meds, this medicine is going to he's going to go through mood changes, mood changes, and blackouts. Mm-hmm. And for me mm-hmm. to be aware of that, so we I said for us to be aware. I said okay. Well, about sixty days later, I was in the kitchen, and he called my name. And I turn around. That's all I remember. I came to. I was laying in. I thought I was laying in water. And I seen my daughter across the way. And she was just crying. And I said, baby, and I tried to lift up. But it felt like. It felt like my body was detached. And then I started feeling this pain. And I still didn't see. I'm still thinking I was laying in water. I said, baby, come to mommy. And she came running. I grabbed her. I was hugging her. And when I pulled her back, her whole face was bloody because I was bloody. But I'm thinking thinking that she's bloody and he did something to her. Right, right. And Mm -hmm. so I sat her down and I said, shh. I said, Daddy here? And she pointed. We had a big, huge house. Mm-hmm. So we had an iron lamp. I don't know if you ever saw or felt an iron. is like a cast iron lamp. That thing weighed over 100 pounds. Well, I only weighed 120. Mm-hmm. But when you have this rage, <laughs> I lifted this thing, and I creaked, didn't make a sound. Mm-hmm. And he was like, he was in this room just putting things together like nothing happened. My daughter was five years old. She told me yeah. what happened. She shared with me what happened. And I told her, be quiet after she told me what he did to me. She said he... She all she remembered, she heard a punch and she came out and he drugged me from the kitchen because that's where I was. I, he mm-hmm. called my name. When he drugged mm-hmm. me, she said he was beating me while I was laying there asleep. Well, I knew what that meant. I wasn't asleep. I was unconscious. So he was right. beating me while he had knocked me out. To make a long story short, I took that iron cast and I cracked him in the back of his head. Good. And he slumped, knocked out. Mm-hmm. I thought I killed him. I grabbed her. Mm-hmm. I grabbed the keys to the car. I, I went to my driveway, got in my car with my baby, and I drove to the nearest police station. Mm-hmm. I had her in my arms. She's bloody soaked, and I'm coming there screaming. He hurt my baby. The police mm-hmm. ran from behind that glass. I didn't see what I looked like, but they mm-hmm. saw. And they come running to one grad. They said, oh, my God, ma'am, are you okay? What happened? Who did this to you? 
who did this to you? I said, who did what? I said, I said, my, my husband. They immediately took me to the hospital. As I'm in the hospital, one police officer rode in the ambulance, had my daughter, and they checked her. The, 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 I heard the lady said, There's not, this blood is not from her, this, from the baby. This blood is from the mother. Right. So they said, is there anybody we can call? The police officer said, I'm going to stay with you till we get somebody to come to the hospital so they can get your little girl. Mm-hmm. Well, I called her father because my husband was her stepfather. So I called, right. my, I called my daughter's father. Of course, he immediately mm-hmm. got to the hospital. He came and got her, tried to check on me. They wouldn't give him no information. He was concerned. Um, I called my best friend. I did not want to call my mom, my siblings. Oh, my God, if I would have called them, they would have they killed them. I didn't want to call them yet, so I called my best friend to come. So I had a broken jaw, a broken arm, four cracked ribs, and a broken nose. And and my and my jaw, they had to wire my jaw. Okay, so let's stop the there. Okay. Let's stop there. But let's see if uh, if Lori and and. Um, I don't know if anybody else has anything that they want to ask you. Go ahead. Go ahead, Lori. All I really can say, because <laughs> I'm still blown away, um, mm-hmm. you're definitely a miracle. Um, I always believe that we all come with uh, a path in life, some fair, some not. Yours obviously was not, but you survived. I don't know how you did it, you know, which mm-hmm. makes you even more special. So... As far as I believe, you were meant to go through what you did to become who you are, and you mm. still have the future, you know, to work towards. It's just kind of you got stuck with it. You don't have really good luck, not at all. From the beginning. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, get worse and, and just, like, worse and worse and worse, but you keep coming back, and, and that's uh-huh. the important part. You were able to, I don't know if you caught compartmentalize. I don't know how you did it in your brain, what all these events how you separated them to become who you are and function as who you are, but you did it. Mm-hmm. So obviously you've got great intelligence along with that. So you are one powerful woman. One powerful woman. Well, I call it today the grace and mercy of God. He kept me through all that I endured to be used for such a time as this to help yeah. others. I believe it. Was him it. That kept me, kept me sane, kept me sane. And, and I, I have to say this real quick. I try to commit suicide so many times that I stopped counting after thirty after number thirty six. I stopped counting. So to add that, thirty six times I try to kill myself. Twice I was brought back because twice I died out of those 36 attempts, and they brought me back. What was, as I know today, it was God who killed me. Yeah. You see that? You see that? You see that, Lori? I, I only tried once, but I had the suicidal ideations. I wanted to die. And this is what happens to people. I... I had to count the pills that I had in my house every day. This is this is showing you insanity, okay, a certain amount of mental illness because I was so horribly beaten too and all that stuff. 
I wanted so badly. A part of me wanted to take those pills, okay, and the other part of me wanted to live. And I was so afraid that I was going to, like, do it without realizing it. I know this sounds nuts. I needed help. And, um, and, and not realize it, and then I would just fade away. Because this is what happens when people go through horrific, horrific child abuse. They want to fade away, and yet they want to stay. Hold on a second. That wasn't supposed to go off. (laughs) That's set for tomorrow morning at 9 o'clock. I have a meeting I have to go to. But anyway, so um, the point is um, a lot of this that that Michelle is talking about is horrific. And uh, some people, you know, would be blown away listening to it. And yet there are those of us who have been through so much ourselves that we can understand how the mind works. A part of you wants to stay, and the other part of you wants to go. So she tried 35, 36 times to kill herself, and um, And I only tried once. Go ahead. And let me me add to that that suicide attempt. I never once wanted to live, just just for the audience to know. Never once. I wanted to live. When I said I tried to kill myself, right. I meant that. And yet I got angrier and angrier because I was still breathing. And I couldn't understand it. I would scream at Satan, take me now, you know, mm-hmm. unbeknownst to me then. But, but what I know now, it was God. But I'm just saying, you know, I was an atheist. I didn't believe in God. I, I was serving mm-hmm. Satan. And I used to tell him, you got me. Why, why won't you honor my wish?" Kill me now. Why you keep stopping it? And it wasn't even him. It was God that was keeping me. I did not want to live. Right. I did not want to right. live. Right. Mm-hmm. So you were like one step further along, say, than I, because I was like confused. Should I live or should I die? Do I want to or don't I want to? And um, it, it turned into like I, I felt the walls closing in on me. Um, because of my husband's behavior towards my first husband. He was the worst. And, um, I want the pain to go away. I felt like if well, I wasn't yeah, well, here, you do. You I, want I the would pain not to go away. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I also had my children, and I didn't want them to go to my mother. And that, I think that's the only thing that, that saved me from doing more, because I knew how bad she was, and I certainly didn't want my kids put into that situation, which is my story, right? But, you know, which I'm not going to tell. But I think that's the only thing that kept me from not doing it. Because when you're mm-hmm. in that much pain, mm-hmm. you do want that pain to stop. Mm-hmm. So instead, I self-medicated. <laughs> that's what I did. Yeah. But your, it's, your story is absolutely and totally amazing. And, and the very fact that you were able to get through all of that is amazing. The very fact that you turned out, you're very yeah, fat that you turned out being a pastor today, and you're, well, you're not an say, evil person I, anymore. <laughs> there, there, there is more, but I don't want to. If I talk about the rest, which is a lot, I won't get to the solution of today. So let me tell you, the um, that I'll just go to the end of what led me to be who I am today, thirty something years later. I mm-hmm. weighed sixty pounds. I went to my mother. I was, I was, I was in full blown addiction and mm-hmm. homeless. 
been out mm-hmm. sleeping on park benches, sleeping on the bridges, sleeping in abandoned buildings, sleeping in cars, you know, going from one yep. place. It was just forever for like the years, and I was, that was my life. And um, I knew I could always go to my mom, get a few dollars, and she'd give me something to eat. Well, one day, I knocked on her door. She just looked at me. So I can't, I was, at this point, I was so exhausted. And I said, Mom, can I just sleep on the couch? She said, you cannot stay here. And I looked at her, tears flowed out my eyes, and she had a different look. And I said, Mom, why are you all I got? She said, I can't help you no more. She said, so she went in the kitchen. She said, sit right there. She made me a hot plate. She said, sit right here and eat this food. So I did. Then she made me a plate to go. Then she gave me some money. Mm-hmm. And it was a lot of bills. Mm-hmm. And she said, I already know what you're going to do with it. But don't you come back here until you're clean. Mm-hmm. And, I, and she walked me to the door, walked me out the door, and locked her door. And I cried. I understand mm-hmm. all my life, all I had was my mom. Right. She wouldn't, right, I you know, I, I could call her and talk to her. And she would say, you can do better. But, but, but she would always listen because she would be happy to hear from me, you know. Mm-hmm. Or I would go see her. She'd be happy to see me. But when my mom said that, that's when I said to myself, there's nobody that loves me now, not even my mom. So I took, I, I took the plate. I went and bought some drugs. And after hours sitting there getting high, I couldn't even feel it for the first time. See, any time I get high, I felt the high. It medicated. It took away the pain. Not this time. Not this time. It wasn't working. I threw the pipe down. I took all the dope off of me, the cocaine, the crack, the pills, the alcohol. I was in a crack house, dope scene house, and I just Mm -hmm. just dropped everything on the table. I said, y'all can have it. And I kept my money, and I walked out. And I kept walking. It was at night. It was like, I don't know, between 1 and 3 in the morning. I was just walking. I was walking in the middle of the street hoping somebody would run me over. Not a car in sight. And the next thing I know, I didn't realize I walked and I ended up in front of the VA hospital. And I went into the emergency room Mm -hmm. and I passed out. That's Mm -hmm. all I remember. I weighed 60 pounds. I I was in the VA hospital bed. I didn't know that I was, they said I was uh, in a coma for seven days. When I came to, the nurses come running around, and then this lady came in there, big old lady, looked like a man. And she said, my name is Robin so-and-so. She said, do you want to live? I said, no. So can you go ahead and give me some pills or something? She was like, well, you're going to live. And I'm going to help you, whether you like it or not. Mm-hmm. And that's where my life began. I got dried out. Mm-hmm. I got involved um, in recovery. And mm-hmm. I had such a fear of men. They, never, they didn't have a facility for women. So they had to mm-hmm. take a man out of a room, put him in a room with someone else for me to have my own room. I was the first female that hit that mm-hmm. recovery floor at the VA hospital in Cincinnati, Ohio. Mm-hmm. But I'll never forget that day. So I got clean, 
And I got straightened out. And it began in the year of 1997. Mm-hmm. And I haven't looked back since. Mm-hmm. But the role of healing was a hard process for me. No, because that's, yeah, I started feeling everything and all the memories. And um, I had all this hatred and pain. And But God has put, uh, put people in my life to help me. It was this woman, Robin. She was the beginning. And then I met this lady who was my friend today. She was a she's a Christian, and she was five years into a church. She took me to her church, and I started getting involved. And um, I had some bumps because for the first time I had to face my pain. But it was some people around me that supported me and stood with me. I had so much rage and so much anger and so much hurt. You know, I was tearing up stuff, breaking stuff, and they let me do it <laughs> to get it out, whatever, you know, but that was what I did. And then I went from doing all that for months, and I mean for months, I was breaking mm-hmm. up stuff to started writing and started drawing, and, you know, and writing poems. And, and I noticed when I was doing that, it was relaxing me, and then I started telling, I started writing my story. That unbeknownst to me, I didn't know I was writing my first book. Right. So right. Um, then I got involved um, uh, volunteering to, you know, women in domestic violence and children who had been sexually assaulted and abused. And I started growing more and more into the church. And then I was asked to go to Bible college and the church paid for it. And then I got ordained as a minister. Then the uh, state of Ohio wanted me to be a chaplain, and they took me through their training and licensed me through the board. So I am a chaplain for the state of Ohio. So I go to different prisons and, and, and jails. Um, I also do safe houses for, for women who have been in domestic violence. Um, I also go to women's shelters, just regular shelters, women and children. Um, I go to the homeless shelter for men also. You know, um, I do a lot of speaking engagements and travel throughout the United States. And right now, as we're speaking, I'm halfway through my second book. Um, mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. once I get that completed and get it edited, and then I'll get it published. Uh, I'm self-publishing this time. So I'll be telling my, you know, doing my own books and traveling and stuff like that. So that's, that's where I'm at today. Um, I got through all my pain. Mm-hmm. by dealing with it head on. Mm-hmm. And it was a long and hard road for me. I tell people, and it's one thing I won't do, I won't lie. We medicate for so long because we don't want to feel, we don't want to remember. But in order for you to deal with your pain, you have to put down what you've been doing for medication to not feel. If you don't feel, you won't heal. So you have right. to feel what you've been through and remember what you've been through at your own pace and knowing that you're not alone, that we, we are here. We can, we can walk this thing with you. And that's basically it, Carol. And then we got 15 minutes, so it'll probably be some people want to say something. I'm sure you want to say something, but that's where I'm at. That's what, that is where Michelle is today. <laughs> so. 
Well, you did a fine job telling your, your story. Um, I, I like to have her on, you know, several times a year because um, not that we take yardsticks or anything on, on uh, NASCA because trauma is trauma, okay? Uh, even one time is too many, all right, whatever mm-hmm. that trauma might be. But mm-hmm. sometimes we have people who have had such a horrific, horrific childhood that it's uh, people need to uh, realize that, okay, um, I had a terrible childhood, whatever, whatever. But um, there's those that have it worse, who had worse. And, and look, look at what they're doing today. So you see, that helps to give people hope. Now, my, my life was close to yours, and, and Lori's life, the three of us were close to mm-hmm. I don't know about Philip. Um, mm-hmm. he's, uh, he's on hold right now. <laughs> I, don't think he wants, I think he's blown away. <laughs> That's what I think. Mm-hmm. But... Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's, it doesn't matter. The point is this, okay? The point mm-hmm. is this, that um, people have to understand that as long as you have the desire, okay, to heal and, you you know, you want to, to live your life um, for what it was meant to be or at least close to what it was meant to be, sometimes we never mm-hmm. get over. You know, Absolutely. I have issues that I don't get over. I have mother issues, obviously. I don't mention enough. And for darn good reasons. I mean, you know, things that happen to us are so deep, and they're so deeply engraved in us, okay? But we have to learn how to deal with that. I may mention a lot of things, but on the other hand, I put it in another place in my mind. That's what I do. And I I realize... Sure. I I just want to say real quick that I tell anyone, for me... I would never get over what I went through. But huh. what I learned is to deal with it. Right. Because I, 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 I confronted my past head on. And it took years for me to be where I'm at today. And uh-huh. I'm so grateful because I can sit and I can share to help somebody else. Because it's one thing that I learned that God has kept me. Because physically, when you hold on to pain and you don't deal with it, it eats your body. Yes, it, it affects does. your physical, and uh-huh. you can get sick. You know, I don't seen That's it right. happen too many times, and I refuse. And I said, "Okay, God gave me grace in this, so I refuse. I'm going to deal with this." I kept being sick all the time, uh-huh. and I'm not like uh-huh. that today. You know. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, well, it's so, very important that we do that, Michelle. And you're right, mm-hmm. because I brought in information, I don't know how many times, about if we don't, you know, face our demons, as I like to put it. Um, if we don't, then we're going to be physically and mentally ill, okay, a lot of us, okay? Mm-hmm. So, But we also have to understand, too, that it was never, ever, ever our fault. Sometimes people, um, and I've spoken about this, too, on, on the show, um, especially with guys, I think, more than girls. But but um, if they and say they were physically abused, okay, mentally, physically, mm-hmm. uh, sexually abused, and if they mm-hmm. had some kind of enjoyment from that sexual abuse, it doesn't mean, number one, it doesn't mean that you're gay if it was by the same sex, or and it doesn't mean that you were accepting it. It's the body's stimuli, okay? The body is stimulated. And, and and so it's going to respond. That doesn't mean that you're enjoying it. 
when a kid, I, you know, you and I have a lot, so much in common, because at four, I too saw too much domestic violence, horror, horrific stuff, to six years old. And at six years mm-hmm. old, my sexual abuse started also. So we mm-hmm. have that. We both saw far too much violence, far too much blood, and, and, and all this other stuff, a lot of fighting in the family. Uh, but not with guns and not with knives. They did fist fighting. I was talking about that the other night. Um, but I saw a lot of blood. I saw teeth flying. <laughs> they lost their toothies. Yes, they did. So, I mean, we've seen so much in our lives. And then the, the terrible sexual abuse that went all throughout our lives. And then picking the wrong partners. This is something that we're mm-hmm. notorious for. And it, yeah. it comes from it comes from what we learned as a child. I mean, we saw us. You would think, Michelle, that you wouldn't like guys, that I wouldn't like guys, and, and Lloyd would never have liked guys, okay? Because of the things that we went through in our in our past. And, and you and you associate okay. sex with pain, because the first thing you're taught when we were raped as kids, it wasn't loving. Mm-hmm. So to me, sex was painful. I, you know, mm-hmm. if like if you ain't cussing me out or you ain't choking me or you ain't being rough, it ain't real, mm-hmm. you know, because that's how it was given to me. So to to to, to know that God has, you know, I, I learned today that of course sex is not pain, but you can't no. differentiate when you are a kid when you are introduced mm-hmm. to it at at an early age. Mhm, mhm. You know, mm-hmm. that's right. Mm-hmm. That's exactly right. And and uh, I mean I know that today too. I want to find mm-hmm. some guy who has hair on his head, okay, <laughs> and I want him to be a gentle guy, but he can be a big guy. I don't care because that's like a teddy bear to me, but he's got to be mm-hmm. a, a gentle guy. I don't want any more abuse, okay? No more right. abuse, okay? It's not mm-hmm. it's not allowed. I recognize it today for what it is. I, I know mm-hmm. the signs because we survivors, first of all, we teach it on the show. And and mm-hmm. secondly, um, just from living, we learn, you know, the uh, red flags to watch out for. I may not say anything to a guy if I see a red flag or two red flags, but I'll stay away from him, okay? I know better. Today, I know better. But it took me years yeah. to get to that point. It took mm-hmm. me years to understand all the abuses that I went through. And it took me years to understand that um, it doesn't have to define us. It doesn't have right. to. I will never, never forget any of the abuses that I went through. That's okay. Right. But on the other hand, I, like I said before, I put it in a different part of my brain. I have dealt with them. I figured those people were screwed up, and the ones that died, they went to hell. See, that it makes it really easy for me, okay? Mm-hmm. And I, mm-hmm. I believe that because, you see, having children is a gift from God. Mm-hmm. And, and if we don't treat our children well, okay, not that you shouldn't reprimand them, but we should never break their spirit. I said that on uh, the radio a couple nights ago, and it says that in the Bible. You know, you don't break the spirit of a child because you're disciplining And that's what happened to all of us. There's been abuse. Yes. Absolutely. Hey, look, we, uh, listen, that happened, and, and we got beaten when we didn't even do anything wrong, okay? Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I got it too, and I know Lori went flying out a window. I think her brother pushed her. Lori, is that mm-hmm. right? Yeah, he threw me out the window. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and Bill to beat the crap out of me. Oh, yeah, yeah. 
So you see, I mean, you you can't win for losing. I mean, uh, I used to get switched because I, I demanded not to clean up after my brother anymore. He was five years older than me. Why should I clean mm-hmm. his messes? And then I'd get beaten. Yeah. Mm-hmm. My legs at one time were a mess because of that, especially the one on the right leg. And, and, and you know, brother, scars and stuff. brother affected you too, right? Oh, yes, he did. You bet mm-hmm. he did. Mm-hmm. And I told you, I don't, I don't forgive my mother and I don't forgive my stepfather, okay, because they knew it and they didn't do anything about it. And I don't feel like I have to. Now, that's where my head mm-hmm. is at. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you know, and, and neither one of them came from abusive families. My mother was the princess of the family. She couldn't even walk in mud. Her brothers mm. had to carry her. Are you nuts? And as far as yeah, my stepfather was concerned, his mother was a, um, a a teacher and his father was a professor. And he had also two uh, a niece in his family who committed suicide, and she was a psychiatrist. He mm. came from education, okay, heavy-duty education type of family, okay, and and mm-hmm. um, still in all, you know, uh, he turned his back on what was happening to me, mm. and and they got him out, my brother, out of trouble all the time by paying this one, paying that one, because again, I came mm. from a wealthy family. All all families, all families in my family, they were born in the eighteen to nineteen hundreds to uh, two thousands. <laughs> I had a huge family at one time. And people that mm-hmm. I thought were my family, I found out through ancestry, weren't my family because I have Italian in me. Oh, my God, how awful is that? And also to Swiss, and they didn't have any of that. Mm-hmm. But the point is mm-hmm. I thought they were my family and for many years, and uh, and still there was all this dysfunction, this dysfunction. So when we read the mission statement, when we talk about, um, you know, it doesn't matter whether you're rich or whether you're poor, when there's abuse, it doesn't matter who you are, okay? Um, it, it can happen in any family, in any setting. It doesn't matter. If it's going to happen, mm-hmm. it's going to happen, okay? That's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. We wow. had a very good show. We had a very good show tonight, you know, Michelle. You always tell your story so well. And um, a lot of people wouldn't even be able to um, repeat what you said <laughs> because they'd probably still be, um, you know, hurting badly because that's, that's so much to get over. And that's God uses me to share because I don't want my sisters and brothers who have been abused. And let me tell you this real quick. I don't care. Uh-huh. I don't want anyone to think that if you ain't been through what I went through, I don't want you to think that your abuse is less. Abuse no. is abuse, whether it's mental abuse, physical, spiritual, sexual, or emotional. Abuse is abuse. Mm-hmm. And your pain is as equal as what anything that I endured in my childhood and in my teenage years. I want people to know that. I want people to know that. Pain is pain. And my goal right. is to be used to, to share and to let you know that you're not alone and you don't have to be by yourself, and you don't have to deal with your pain alone anymore. Mm-hmm. You don't have to. Mm-hmm. You don't have That's to. Right. That's right. But you have to, you have to deal with it. I had someone say, well, I don't know how. And I told her, 
I didn't know how either. So let me give you what was beautifully gave, given to me to help you. Mm-hmm. Because well, that's, that's, that's exactly right, Michelle, you know. Yeah. See, yeah. we, well, look, we, we have this platform here, and, and we're always talking about abuse. And I talk about, <clears throat> damn, I'm sorry <laughs> with this weather. Okay. My sinuses are a mess. Um, but I always um, tell people, you know, that we have programs too. We have the Zoom meetings, and we also have this right here. And, and the Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, we have the special guests. Tuesday, Thursdays, we have um, social workers or whatever. And mm-hmm. um, counselors and, and uh, coaches and everything, whatever. Mm-hmm. And now we've got the 90-second cue in my ear, which means the show is over. However, I just want people to know that you can heal. Here is a wonderful story. Not a wonderful story, but a wonderful example of someone who went through a tremendous amount of pain. And she was able to heal. And look what she is today. So we're all very proud of you. Well, I love yes. you guys. You guys enjoy your evening. I have a 9.30 thing to do. Okay. So, all right. Love you all. All right, listen. Okay, I'll talk to you during the week, all right? All righty. Okay, honey, take care. All right, you everybody, um, I have, yes, I have to close the show down now. I made it through the show, so I was meant to. There you go. Okay, good night. God bless. Have a good weekend, and be careful. You are forgotten after all that you've done. Another tomorrow. Love Talk Radio.